All right, hey, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to give you a heads, heads up to where you need to be. We're going to be in the book of 1 John tonight. If you're somewhat familiar with the Bible, you might recognize that and be thinking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the stories of Jesus, but that's not, that's not where we're at. Go all the way to the back of your Bible, find Revelation, and then go forward a little bit. You'll see a book called Jude. It's like one page. And then 3 John, 2 John, and 1 John, they're all about one or two pages, so don't flip. And find 1 John, we're going to be there. But I want to pray for us, and then I want to open up this passage of Scripture. Um, it's pretty cool. God, man, I thank you so much for um, the testimonies we hear. Thank you for students who lead worship, for teenagers who practice in order to help their friends and adults in the room approach your throne, God, to worship you and tell you how great you are. And as we get into your word tonight, God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you'd help us to see what it means to be a remedy for a broken world, and that we'd walk out ready to engage with you in that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, 2005, a guy died. He was in his 70s. His name was Thomas Cannon. And his story isn't one you've probably heard. He was he was dirt poor, really. In fact, when he was three years old, his dad passed away. His mom remarried, and when she remarried, their family became a family of six, and they lived in a three-room wooden shack. Not a, not a three-bedroom house, a three-room wooden shack. Had no electricity, had no running water, and that's the way he grew up. When he got older, things didn't really change a whole lot. He did get a job. He started working for the post office. But at no point in his life, till the age of, well, when he retired, he died in the, in the 70s, in his 70s, at no point in his life did he ever make more than $25,000 in a year. That might sound like a lot, you know, if you like work for Sonic and you make eight bucks an hour, but $25,000 isn't a whole lot of money. Never made more than that. When he died... Um, they found out something pretty interesting through interviewing his wife and talking to him. Over the course of his life, he'd given away over $156,000 to people. Never had money, but just gave it away. And he would, he would read about people in the newspaper and, and, and try to meet their needs. He, he read about a teenager who had been orphaned and, and abandoned as a child, and he'd been foster care, and, and he wrote a check, $1,000 check, to this kid for college wrote a check to a youth worker in their town who was doing work in, a, in an apartment complex that was like lower socioeconomic, knew a family, a Vietnamese couple that wanted to go and, and, and fly back to Vietnam to see their family that couldn't afford it, wrote a check for them to do that. He just gave away his money. And, and a biographer wrote a story about it. I want to read you a quote from what, what she said about him. She said, not many people would consider living in a house in a poor neighborhood, this is as an adult, not as a kid, without central heat, without air conditioning and no telephone and working overtime so that they could save money to give it away. She's probably right. There's not many people that would live that way and work overtime just to give their money away. We talk in here a lot about money. It makes a lot more sense probably when I'm talking to parents on Sunday since most of them have jobs and most of you probably don't. But one day you will and you need to think through what you'll do with it before that time comes. And we talk about money, though, for a lot of reasons. And one is we believe, and I say we, I mean our youth ministry, uh, our, our adults that serve here, we believe in life transformation. 
And what I mean by that is I'm not really interested in you guys coming in on a Wednesday night or a Sunday to a small group and, and walking out just like knowing the Bible. I want, you to, I want you to take what you learn from the Bible and, and apply it to your life and let it change you. I want you to be different and living the life that God called you to live, not just knowing something about it. And if we were really honest, we would agree that our resources and money a lot of times can be leveraged to help us reach transformation. I'll give you an example. Got a prom coming up this weekend. Had a couple proms. Liberty Hill was not too long ago. I saw um, East Views was a couple weeks ago. Prom's going to come around, and some of you ladies, you're going you're gonna to want to have a transformation for your prom, right? You're not, when you take your prom pictures, you don't want to hold them up to the Instagram selfie you took tonight and be like, yep, yeah, that's the same thing, right? You, you want something a little different. You're going to go get a nice dress. You're going to go get your hair done. I grew up in Colleen. We say you get your hair did. That's how we say that. You're going to do that so that you can have this, this prom transformation. There's like some girls now, they're taking notes for the first time. They're like, I like that one where her hair, they're like taking notes on prom. Now, here's the truth. Honestly, I can cut your hair for prom for free. I can. I'll style it for you and, and do, it won't cost you a dime. Now, full disclosure, I've never cut hair before in my life, but I'll do it for you for free because I love you. I know, isn't that sweet? I know. But nobody's going to do it because you're planning on going and getting it done professionally and you're going to pay money. You're going to use your funds to help your transformation. But it makes sense. We do it all the time. Guys, some of you this year, gonna, this summer, you've already signed up. You're going to go to a football camp, a basketball camp, a baseball camp. And you're going to pay $1,000 or more. You're not. Your parents are. They're going to pay a lot of money for you to go. And you're going to do drills. And you're going to learn mechanics. And you're going to do some things. And if we were honest, you could go home tonight. I actually tried this, so I know it's true. Maybe not everything, but I tried a few things. You can get on YouTube and find some videos that will teach you throwing mechanics, blocking stuff, how to do just about anything you're going to learn at the camp. And it's free because it's YouTube. You're not going to do it. You're going to take money and you're going to leverage it, something professionally to get transformation to ha happen for you. I mean, that makes sense. No one's doubting it, but that's one of the reasons why I talk about money because money can also be used to be leveraged to transform you spiritually. Now, it doesn't have to be. You can pray. You can read your Bible. We put devotionals out every week, every month, and you can go through that, and God will start growing you. You can memorize scripture. You can do things like fasting. You can do all kinds of things that are free to grow spiritually. But we also know that there are some moments in life that you can have that might really transform you. And I'll give you an example. One of our uh, students we just came back from Poland, we talked about that during spring break. I was talking with our students. Her name's Alyssa. She's probably in here somewhere. Alyssa's a senior. And Alyssa was telling me this, the story as we were talking about her experience. And one of the mornings when she was in Poland, their group went on a three-hour prayer walk. Yeah, that, that, what that is, if you don't know what a prayer walk is, they walked for three hours around the city praying for people they saw, praying for the missionaries, praying for all kinds of stuff. That's pretty intense. And at the end of the prayer walk, as they were coming to the conclusion of it, she was at a lake. And she said uh, the lake wasn't anything special. But standing in front of that lake and having been talking to God for three hours, she said that she had one of the most powerful and most impactful spiritual moments she's ever had in her life. That she heard God speak to her and answer some questions that she'd been asking him for a while. 
Not, not audibly speaking, but she sensed the Holy Spirit answering questions. And she said it was powerful. It was life-changing. It was transformational. Now, to be fair, God could have spoken to her had she not gone to Poland. And I'm sure he spoke to some people. God could have spoken to her had she not gone on a three-hour prayer walk. But I find it interesting that when she's away and she's focused on mission work and she's focused on serving God for this week, and then she's focused on even more on praying for three hours, that at the end of that, the culmination of that, she has this transformational spiritual moment. Now, she could have stayed here for spring break and God spoken. He could have. She could have went on a three-hour prayer walk around Georgetown, but she wouldn't have. And that's not because she's not spiritual. It's because none of us would have. That's a lot of prayer walking. She could have, but she didn't. And my point is this. That moment happened because she was tuned in to what the Holy Spirit was doing in a way that she never would have had happen had she stayed here. But to go to Poland cost her $2,000. But she went knowing I'm leveraging this money. I'm raising it and I'm going to work and I'm going to put it aside because I'm going to go one. I'm going to do a work for God. That was part of it. But I'm also, I know that God is going to do something in me that changes me. We spend money all the time to transform our hair, our bodies, our spiritual lives. So that's one reason why we talk about it because we believe in transformation. Another reason why we talk about money a lot is because we have it. Uh, Try this on for size. If Texas was a nation of its own, I wish we could be one day. If if Texas was its own nation, you know, we would be the 14th richest nation in the world, just our state. People talk about, if you read the news, people complaining about minimum wage in America and wanting to raise it. If you go six hours south and you move to Mexico... Minimum wage there, it's been raised twice in the last three years. And it's been raised, now it's at 61 cents an hour. We've got money. There's 105 countries in this world where the minimum wage is $2 an hour or less. We make a lot of money. The, the, the poverty line in America is 30 some odd thousand dollars for a family of four. So if you have a family of four and your family makes less than $30,000, you're, you're considered impoverished. But if your family only made $10,000, that's well below the poverty line. If your mom and dad both worked and all they made was $10,000, you would be in the top 16% wealthiest people on this planet. If your family makes $50,000 or more a year, which honestly is the vast majority of you in here, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people on this planet. And... This morning, you didn't have to get up and walk with a jug to the river to get water to bring back to your families like millions of people do. You didn't even take public transportation here. You got in a car that your family owned and you drove on paved roads here to this nice building that's got air conditioning and lights and audio video stuff. Guys, we are wealthy. And Jesus said to whom much is given, much is demanded. And so that's one reason why we talk about money, because tra- we know it can be leveraged to transform things. And we've got it. We've got a ton of it. And as we talk about being a remedy, I want you to see 1 John chapter 3. A couple of verses, and we're just going to take them, we're going to take them slow. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 
The guy that wrote this is a guy named John. He walked with Jesus, and he's talking about Jesus in this verse 16. He says, by this we know love. This is how we know what love is, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Stop there for a second. He says, you want to know what love is? If you want to know what real love is, look at the cross. If you want to know what real love is, look at what Jesus did. Love is, in real love, real love is sacrificial. But in reality, most of the time when we sacrifice or we do something to show someone love, we get something back like in return, right? I mean, like last night, took Amanda on a date. We went and saw Captain America 2. We went and ate dinner. Um, and, and I do those things to show love to her because she loves movies. She cleans our house. She takes care of my kids when I'm gone because, because that's how she's showing love to me. And, and, and so I love her, sure, but she loves me back. If, if all of a sudden I quit dating her, I quit taking her to movies, I quit trying to be romantic, our marriage would start to suffer because there, there's a give and take in love. Even, even if you do something more sacrificial, maybe you do something to show love to somebody expecting nothing in return. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who's a missionary in New Orleans. And the lady that lives next to her lost her, her washing machine broke. All of a sudden, this lady lives in inner city New Orleans, has no money, and, and can't afford to, to fix the washing machine or get it replaced. And my friend had posted on Facebook, I just had happened to do some kind of speaking engagement, spoke at a camp or something, and, and they paid me to do it. And we came in, and man and I decided, hey, we're going to take this check, and we're going to buy this lady that we don't know a washing machine. Talked to my friend who was the missionary, got it, made sure it was all legit, got on Sears, ordered it, had it delivered to her house. I've never met the lady, don't know her. I followed it to make sure she got it. She told my friend to say thanks. That was it. I'll never see her. She's never going to hug me. She's never going to do anything in return for me. But you know what? Even in that, I got a payoff out of it. I felt really good about it, right? I mean, that makes you feel good. I was able to bless somebody. I was able to do this charitable, and I feel good about that. So there's still a payoff even when I'm being sacrificial. But John comes back and he starts pointing to death. And he, he, he's thinking about when Jesus said in John 15, there's no greater love than this, that you lay down your life for a friend. Someone who sacrifices their life gets no payoff. I mean, if I go and I die for Ricky, there's nothing she can do for me in return because I'm dead, right? I mean, I might feel good about it going, and I'm going to die for Ricky. I might feel, but as soon as I die for her, I don't feel really good about it anymore because I'm dead. Are you tracking how this works? That, that's, that's how it works. And so, so Jesus said, and John reiterates, the greatest amount of love is when you're willing to die for somebody because you get nothing out of it. But John points us to the cross, and he says there's actually something better than you dying for a friend. There's actually something more loving than you laying down your life. It's when God himself... The God of the universe comes in and takes the form of flesh in, in Jesus. And when God dies for his creation, that is the ultimate picture of love because God got nothing from it. And so that's what he says in 1 John 3, 16. That's what he says, by this we know love. We know real love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Because Jesus showed us this ultimate love we can give as close as we can get. But then look at verse 17. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Go back there. He says, If anyone. 
That's us, right? We fall in the category of anyone. If anyone, check, has the world's goods. We've already talked about that. We're top 1% wealthiest people on the planet. If anyone, check, has the world's goods, check, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. What he's saying is this. We've been in this for several weeks now. Several weeks ago, we said that to be a remedy oftentimes requires us to take a detour. We said being a remedy begins when we start seeing people as the mission of Jesus. We know that being a remedy is going to be inconvenient. We know that being a remedy is about helping people. It's about seeing people's needs. Last week, we talked about the mustard seed. We said God uses small things to do big stuff. It doesn't even take a lot. Here's what John is saying to us, and this is going to hurt some of your feelings. He's saying, if you've been here for three weeks talking about being a remedy, and you haven't done anything yet to be a remedy to someone else, you have a heart problem. That's what John said. Don't get mad at me. I mean, I'll read it to you again. This is not 1 Brett 3. It's 1 John. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, and look at this, how does God's love abide in him? How does God's love live in him? Let me paraphrase what John says. If you've got wealth, if you've got money, if you've got resources, and you're not using those resources to be a remedy for a broken world, here's what John's saying. I'm wondering if you're actually even a follower of Jesus. He's going, I'm not even sure the word churches use is saved. I'm not even sure you're saved. That's what he's saying. If you've got stuff, you've got wealth, and you're holding it to yourself after knowing what Jesus did on the cross for you, because that's what love is. Jesus gave everything. God himself sacrificed everything. And you can't take your stuff that's going to rot or be in the dumpster in, in, in 10 years. You can't take your money and, and, and use it to be a remedy for a broken world. I wonder if you really understand Jesus and the cross. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Not me. I'm just reading And look what he says in verse 18. He knows it's harsh. That's why he says, little children. He's not talking to little children. He's talking to grown people. But now he's like, man, I just kind of like punched you square in the face. So he's like, listen, buddies, friends, pals, little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. He says, let's not just talk about loving God and loving people. We've got to go do it. And what he says is, what he'd say is this, you have resources in order for you to be the remedy. You've got money and stuff. God's given it to you. He's allowed you to be a part of the 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet so that you could be a part of his reconciliation and fixing of a broken world. That's what he says. He says, if you're not down with that, You've got a heart problem and you need to wrestle through if you really understand the sacrifice Jesus paid for you. It's tough stuff. Let's talk about some application. While we're doing this and talking, again, we don't want to just talk about it. I want you to feel good. I want you to be able to apply it. So I'm going to throw out some ideas to you. Some of them work. Maybe one of them works for you. Maybe one of them doesn't. You don't have to do any of these. I mean, you do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But I'm just going to throw out some ideas just to get your, your, your creative juices flowing of how you can be a remedy. Here's the first idea. Just came up. What about a garage sale? You got junk. You got stuff piled up in a closet. What if you took your stuff with your family? It's probably not just going to be you. 
with your family. And on a Saturday, you host at a garage sale and, and you put out there, hey, everything that's sold, every, every penny we get is going to whatever, whatever, you want, whatever place you want to be a remedy to. It's going to clean water. It's going to fight human trafficking. It's going to scholarships for a youth camp for friends to know Jesus. Whatever we raise, that's going to, and you get rid of all of your junk and you turn that money into a remedy. I did a little research. The average garage sale brings in about $400, which is pretty good. But I've got a friend, some of y'all know Jenna Shotwell. She's our 11th grade lead minister. Her and her husband, Jared, they're adopting a child from Uganda. And so they've done some things to raise money for that. They did a garage sale. And when they did the garage sale and advertised that this garage sale is raising money to adopt a, a, a child, an orphan from Uganda, they didn't raise $400, they raised $1,100. Because people went, hey, that, I, I want to be a part of the remedy too. So maybe that's, I don't know, that's just an idea. That's a lot of work. Your parents may not be down for it, but I'm just trying to give you some ideas. Here's a, here's a second idea. How about a coin jar with a goal? Get a jar, start putting coins, go through your couch, look under your bed. If you drive your car, you drive a car, look through it, start putting coins. And I say with a goal, put a, put a dollar, I'm, I'm putting coins until I get $200. Because what'll happen is you'll get to like 150 and you'll be like, okay, I'm getting close and you'll, you'll start putting some dollars in there and things like that. But just, just, just spare change. And maybe you do that as your family. You tell mom and dad, hey, when you come home, if you got coins in your pocket, can you, would you put it in the jar? And when it gets to this point, we're going to do such and such with this to be a remedy. It can be powerful. There's a guy named Paul Brandt. He's 70 years old. Went and bought a quarter ton, I'm sorry, half ton Dodge pickup, brand new. Now, it didn't have all the bells and whistles. It was $26,000, and he paid for it in change. Paid for it all in coins. When, they, when he paid, they had to schedule an armored truck to come get it all and take it to the, the dealership, which is crazy to me because if you're dumb enough to try to steal $26,000 in change, somebody should slap you because you're not running very far with that. You know? But had to, banks didn't want it. He just saved up coins for his life. He was 70, and you might go, well, yeah, okay, so 70 years from now, I'll have a couple $20,000. No. 20 years before that, he bought a brand-new pickup truck and a car on the same day with change. This guy is a coin-hoarding fool. I mean, he's like, I don't know if he's like taking money out of other people's pockets or what, but... Could you imagine if you ended up with $20,000 in change, money you would have never missed, and put it towards the remedy? That's an easy thing to do. Here's a third thing. This has been application sometimes. Set a portion per paycheck, per babysitting job, per lawn mowing job, maybe per allowance to remedy. $5, $20, maybe a percentage. That's actually probably more biblical to put a percentage and go, hey, I'm going to take this percent of whatever I get, and I'm going to set it to the side. I'm not, this isn't just preaching to the choir. <coughs> Man and I tithe. We give a 10% off the top. Every time I get paid, we, 10% goes back to our local church. But above and beyond that, we do some other things. We've got a couple of kids that we support through Compassion International and World Vision. We do some other things. But also, I've got a line out of my budget. Anytime I get paid from uh, other business stuff that I do, speaking, booking clients and things like that, I, I have a, a percentage that comes out and it just goes to charitable giving. It just pulls out and it just builds up. And when somebody's, we have missionaries to support, and we get a letter, I'll pull that money and write them a check. I just, I just pull it out because I've set it aside. That's a great habit to get into to start being a remedy. A couple of years ago, there was a, a guy, he's 49 years old. He had a stroke, major stroke. 
And as he recovered from the stroke, like often happens to people who had a stroke, he had a lot of residual issues, some physical issues, um, some emotional, some mental issues. But one of the things that happened was he started giving all of his money away. And his wife, she said it was excessive, excessive that he was giving. He, he would see kids at the store and just buy him stuff. He quit his job. He said, I, don't want to jo- I just want to go help people. His story got written up in a medical journal. This isn't like you know, a magazine, a medical journal reviewed by other scientists and stuff, the Journal of Neuroscience. And in the Journal of Neuroscience, they tagged him with, uh, I don't know if you call it an issue, whatever you'd call it, but they said he had quote-unquote, pathological generosity. That was a part of the stroke. He had the stroke, and all of a sudden, he became pathologically generous. I've got money. You don't. Here you go. And so they wrote about it because they hadn't seen that ever like in a stroke victim. He got on medication and stuff like that to kind of even his body out to take care of all the issues. The medication cured him of all the other symptoms from, that came from the stroke except for one, his pathological generosity. To this day, he still wants to give away everything he has. And my question is this. What if just this room, not even for the rest of our lives, what if for one month we got pathologically generous to be the remedy? To, 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 to figure out ways to sacrifice in order to change our world. Doesn't have to be a lot, remember? God takes small things and does big stuff. What I want you to wrestle with tonight, and we're gonna sing before we go one more song. What I want you to wrestle with this week is 1 John 3, these verses we looked at. And ask yourself this You're anyone, and you have the world's goods, we know that. So the next question is this Do you have a heart issue? You have a heart issue. Maybe we'd ask it this way. When you think of your money and your stuff and someone with a need, maybe you'd ask the question this way. Do I love George Washington more than I love him? Do I love my stuff that's going to one day end up in a trash heap somewhere more than I love a person who has an eternity on the line. Your stuff's not going to heaven. But what about that person that you might be able to leverage your resources or leverage your money to minister to them, to bless them, to change their life, and maybe through that even earn the right to share with them what Jesus has done in your life. Leveraging our resources can be a powerful thing. That's why we talk about it. I hear people say all the time that all the church does is talk about money. And I think that's really unfair because I rarely have sat in a church service where people talk about money. Most pastors I know don't want to talk about it. I unapologetically talk about it because it's an idol for most Americans and because we've got it. And we need to understand what Jesus wants us to do with the stuff that he's given us. So if we're not talking about it, we're probably doing an injustice to the full picture of what Jesus called us to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to stand and sing one more song. And I'm going to come back and share with you a real important announcement. God, I stand in front of my friends 
and can say that, yes, we give away a lot of our stuff. And my family gives away a lot of our money to be the remedy. But God, I, I would ask that your spirit would speak to me and answer the question, is it enough? Or does my family need to go even further beyond what we do? God, I pray that you'd give us a picture of what it would be like for a church, a youth ministry, or even families to understand that the resources you've given us were given to us so that we could be a remedy to a broken world. Help us get a picture of what that looks like. Give us some opportunities this week not to be generous, God, but to be extravagantly generous. Then we start thinking about how much we're going to give. We wouldn't measure it by what our checkbook says. We wouldn't measure it by what we think someone else is doing. That we would simply look to the cross and measure it by the sacrifice you made for us. You were extravagantly generous with your life. And as disciples following Jesus, we want to do the same. So God, my prayer is that you would change us not from a Bible study tonight, but we'd be transformed because we would go out and take 1 John 3 and apply it to our lives. Amen.